0: This talk is brought to you by iBiology.org, and this audio was taken from a video available on our website. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Lecture 3. Again, I'm Jeannie Lee. I'm a professor of genetics at Harvard Medical School. I'm also a faculty member in the Department of Molecular Biology at the Massachusetts General Hospital. All right. So, uh, we talked about the different steps of X-chromosome inactivation in Lecture 2. We covered... Uh, in some detail the molecular mechanisms behind X chromosome counting and allelic choice. And what I'd like to do in this last lecture is to talk about the step of nucleation, followed by the spreading of silencing across the rest of the X chromosome. And recall that the problem is that here we have Xist RNA, which is shown in red, and coats the inactive X chromosome in cyst, and it does so without spilling over into any of the other X chromosomes... into any of the other X chromosomes in the cell, or to any autosomes, for that matter. And so the question is, how does this RNA stay put on that chromosome? And we know that this property belongs to this small piece of uh, DNA, called the X-inactivation center, because when we place the inactivation center on an autosome, so a non-sex chromosome, we see that exists can also coat that chromosome in cis without spilling over into any of the other chromosomes, including the X chromosome, where it normally would be produced and would be spread. Okay, so we're gonna start with this concept of nucleation. Now, this is something that we summed upon sort of uh, by accident. So, recall this experiment, which we had done back in the 1990s, Sort of led to this dogma that exist RNA is strictly cis acting. So the idea here was to place an inactivation center or exist onto an autosome in a male cell, and we could observe that exist is produced from this ectopic inactivation center and that that RNA spreads strictly in cis across the autosome without ever diffusing, or so we thought, to the natural X chromosome, which is located in a different place in the genome, or in the nucleus. Okay. So, um, that has been recapitulated many times by various studies, but then, many years later, when we repeated the same experiment, except this time we did it in female cells, and in the post-inactivation state, we got a very surprising finding. So, now, here are two X chromosomes, one's inactive and being coded by Xist RNA. We place an inactivation center, or exist on an autosome, and we saw, as we expected, that Xist would be upregulated and would co- coat and silence that chromosome in cis. However, what we didn't anticipate was that within 24 to 48 hours of doing this, exist RNA started to fade away from the inactive X. Now, upon probing deeper, we realized that Exist wasn't actually going away or disappearing. In fact, what was happening to it was that it was being pulled away onto the autosome, which had this multipleized uh, X inactivation center. So, that was extremely puzzling. And here's the actual experiment, where you can see um, the autosome very nicely producing exist. And the X chromosome, down here, which is starting to fade away, at least with respect to exist RNA, and within 24 hours we see the transgenic exist spot, but the X chromosome spot was nowhere to be found. So, that was indeed very surprising, and what we learned from these experiments is that, in fact, contrary to what we were expecting, exist RNA can diffuse in the nucleus. But we normally see it localizing in cis, because there isn't another site in the nucleus that would be receptive to Exist. Okay? So, Exist can diffuse, entrance, and act on a different chromosome. So, this led to um, a revelation that there has to be a sort of a nucleation center within the Exist gene itself and that these autosomal transgenes must somehow contain such a nucleation site. And so we um, went ahead and um, dug around to try to pinpoint this nucleation site and identified three binding sites for a transcription factor called YY1 that was immensely important to this uh, process of nucleation. And so what we showed is that YY1 protein binds to these three sites and serves as a tether for exist RNA to anchor to the inactive X chromosome. And when we mutated these three YY1 binding sites, look what happens to exist. It disperses across uh, almost the entire nucleus. So, the RNA detaches from the X chromosome and floats away uh, into the nucleus. Okay. So, we could recapitulate that finding by depleting the cells of this critical anchor, the YY1 protein. You see how it recapitulates the loss of uh, this exist focus um, within these female cells. And it wasn't because exist was no longer being produced. Exist was still produced, uh, but it could no longer uh, attach to this nucleation center. Okay, so we conclude that YY1 is a tether for exist RNA at the nucleation site. So this nucleation allows exist to attach prior to the process of spreading. It's an absolutely critical initial step to uh, X chromosome spreading. So, what we observed is that the nucleation site is located within... or very close to this repeat sequence, we call repeat F, near the 5' end of exist. that it contains a trio of YY1 binding sites. The YY1 protein is very important in tethering exist RNA, to this nucleation center. And so, what we imagine is that exist RNA gets produced from this genetic locus, and it co-transcriptionally loads onto the nucleation site. And what we mean by co-transcriptional is, as it's getting synthesized, when this piece of the RNA gets exposed, it detaches... or attaches to the uh, inactivation center before uh, the transcription is complete. Okay, and then from the nucleation site exists spreads in three dimension uh, across the rest of the X chromosome. All right, so now let's talk about this concept of spreading itself. How does that uh, actually happen? All right, so what happens from here, which is the synthesis of exists and attachment to the nucleation site? All the way down to here, which is a chromosome condensation and a lockdown of gene expression on that chromosome, uh, remains largely unknown. However, we do know that several things have to happen in between. One of which is that exist has to push away these factors that normally give rise to gene expression, so the activating factors, and at the same time, it has to recruit. Repressive factors to the X chromosome to start the process of silencing. And then, uh, probably at the same time, it is generating a new kind of topology on the X chromosome. All right, so how does all of this work? Well, we know that exist is multifunctional, uh, and to identify important domains that are uh, essential for spreading. We have performed a systematic deletional analysis of exist. So, here again is exist. And what we've done is use the CRISPR Cas9 gene editing technology to remove sequentially one to two kilobase regions from exist RNA. And we do this at the endogenous exist locus in female cells so that we can observe everything happening in the normal physiological state. And what we found are two repeats that are very important to this process of spreading. Okay, so there's repeat B, shown right there, and repeat E, which is in the last exon of exist. So, normally, as you know by now, exist forms this very tight focus uh, over the inactive X chromosome. But when we delete it, either repeat B or repeat E, what you see is a dispersal of the exist RNA cloud sort of across uh, the nucleus. Okay? So, I think that's very nicely illustrated here and here, relative to the wild-type uh, existRNA. RNA. So, to get a better understanding of what's happening at the molecular level, we performed an epigenetic uh, method called uh, ChartSeq, and this allows us to map RNA binding sites on chromatin. In this case, we're interested in exist RNA. So, here I'm showing you a time-course analysis of Xist binding during X inactivation. And in this top row here, you can see that Xist is uh, initially expressed from the X inactivation center, and it's nucleating there, but then it spreads sort of all at once to uh, the rest of the X chromosome. In other words, it's not spreading sort of... Uh, sort of locus by locus in two dimensions down the chromosome, but instead it's spreading all at once in three dimensions, because you're seeing that the RNA is piling up across the X chromosome, more or less, at the same time. And the other thing we found out uh, from this experiment is that Xist is first going to gene-rich regions, and in particular, it's going to active genes, exactly the genes that it ought to be uh, attacking first. If we're talking about silencing of an entire chromosome. And then eventually, exists spreads over the entire X chromosome until it essentially covers uh, the entire 166 megabase chromosome. Okay, so we believe that exist RNA spreads in three dimensions across the inactive X chromosome. It first nucleates here at the X inactivation center, and then the RNA is transferred uh, through proximity to various secondary sites, of which there are probably about 100 or so, uh, first targeting the gene-rich, the active gene regions, before spreading to the rest of the X chromosome. All right. So, what happens when we delete this critical repeat B, which is important for spreading? So, again, here in the top row, we can see the wild-type spreading pattern that's covering, essentially, the entire chromosome. But when we delete repeat B, you see that there is a diminution of binding across the entire X. And um, it appears as though the ends of the X chromosome are being more affected... or more affected than the middle region, consistent with this idea of a spreading defect uh, in three dimensions. Okay. And as you would expect of um, an RNA that can no longer spread efficiently, on the X chromosome, gene silencing is severely compromised. So, here, by RNA sequencing, you can see lots of activity still across these two representative genes, and the activity shown here is these little red uh, tick marks, and there's almost as, as much activity on the inactive X chromosome as on the active X chromosome. Okay. So, now, we've also come to understand, in spite of what I just showed you by chart sequencing, that exists covers the whole chromosome. When we looked at individual cells, okay, by super-resolution imaging, with uh, a resolution of 20 nanometers, we see that EXIST isn't actually plastered on the entire chromosome. It's not really a code. It's actually a cluster of about 100 dots, with each dot representing one to two EXIST transcripts, or one to two EXIST molecules. All right. So, then, with only 100 to 200 EXIST particles on the inactive X chromosome, if we were to place the EXIST particles end-on-end, there would only be enough EXIST to cover about 1% of this 160 megabase chromosome. Or, put differently, there's only one EXIST molecule for every 10 to 20 genes. So, that raises this question. Because EXIST is at a stoichiometric disadvantage, how does it actually silence an entire chromosome. And with respect to that, you see that there's sort of a a discrepancy between what we're seeing at the single-cell level by super-resolution imaging and what we're seeing by chart sequencing, which really is measuring a population average across millions of cells. And so, between what we're seeing in a single snapshot in time by chart and what we're seeing at the single-cell level, we can deduce that exist... Actively moving around, very dynamically moving around the X chromosome. So that relates to its question of uh, stoichiometry. So it turns out that exist overcomes this unfavorable stoichiometry by recruiting catalytic factors. And these are factors that can amplify the work of exist. So, for example, uh, here I'm showing four different catalytic factors. That exists is directly interacting with, including chromosome architectural factors, the cohesins, of the swy-sniff factors, uh, polycomb repressive complexes, as well as this uh, non canonical SMC protein called SMCHD1. And you'll note from this list of interacting proteins that exists is both uh, coming in contact with activators as well as repressors. And that is because, in fact, during the process of spreading, it is interacting with both the activating factors as well as the repressing factors. So, we now turn our attention to the first function of EXIST, which is the recruitment of repressive factors. And one of the factors that it recruits is this PRC2, or polycomb repressive complex two. This is an epigenetic complex that... Uh, trimethylates histone H3 at lysine 27, and is a very important enzyme that represses gene expression, and is important uh, throughout development, as well as during the etiology of disease. However, there has been a long-standing question in the field, not just about polycomb complexes, but about many, many other epigenetic complexes, about how they can be targeted to specific locations in our genome when these complexes are largely devoid of a sequence-specific DNA binding subunit? Okay. So, how do they know where to go? Now, the answer to this question is going to be multifaceted, of course. There are going to be many different recruiting mechanisms, including transcription factors, including uh, s- um, specific motifs in DNA and whatnot. Uh, but we believe that a major piece of the puzzle lies in... A non-coding RNA, and sometimes even coding RNA, dating back to uh, an experiment that we did 10 years ago, in which we demonstrated that PRC2 can directly interact with RNA, in this case EXIST, and recruit PRC2 to the x chromosome, And it's doing so through a motif at the very 5' end of EXIST called uh, repeat A. So this is a biochemical analysis that shows that PRC2 interacts with exist RNA with high affinity, with a dissociation constant of 20 to 80 nanomolar, which is a very good dissociation constant for an RNA binding protein, and it contrasts with the affinities of so very low affinities for these non-specific RNAs from various other species like tetrahymena and bacteria. Okay, so now in this slide, I will attempt to uh, convey the complex dynamics that occur between the RNA and PRC2 so as we envision it now initially the RNA that contains this repeat a motif will attract polycomb repressive complexes to the x activation center okay now very importantly our genetic and biochemical experiments show that even though the long non coding RNA is recruiting PRC2 in a site-specific manner, that does not mean that it is uh, automatically going to load that complex onto chromatin or that it will induce the catalysis on H3K27. Okay. So in fact, these steps are biochemically and genetically separable. So for example, as long as the antisense repressor, Psiax, is expressed from the inactivation center. We see that this complex does not load onto chromatin, so at this time we can see a RIP, RNA immunoprecipitation, between PRC2 and repeat A RNA, but we do not see them chipping onto the 5 prime end of exist. and it is only when the antisense RNA disappears do we see that complex load onto the X chromosome, but even so that does not by itself unleash the methyltransferase activity of the catalytic subunit, EZH2. However, when this complex comes into contact with this accessory subunit, called GERID2, we see that the affinity of the RNA for the catalytic subunit, EZH2, decreases. So, the affinity goes down, and that loss of binding of the RNA to EZH2 is associated with unleashing of the histone-methyltransferase activity. So, again, this principle illustrates how we can separate polycomb recruitment from its loading onto chromatin to its catalysis on H3K27. Okay. So, take-home message, long non-coding RNAs can recruit PRC2, but hold their activity... or hold the activity of PRC2 in check, until a developmental signal is received, uh, at which time uh, PRC2 and GERID2 interact to uh, trimethylate histone H3 at lysine 27. EXIST overcomes its unfavorable stoichiometry by recruiting these catalytic factors. And we envision that these factors use a hit-and-run mechanism to silence the entire chromosome in an efficient manner. So again exists first binds to the inactivation center nucleates at that site recruits all these factors and then spreads in three dimension to about 100 sites located across the chromosome and then at these secondary sites and we're taking it as an example here PRC2 but there're many other catalytic factors so PRC2 lands it processively methylates successive nucleosomes until it covers about 1 or 2 megabases of chromatin. And imagine that this happens 100 times over, across the X chromosome, more or less, at the same time. And then you can see how this process of silencing can be amplified and can take place in a very efficient manner. So, now I'd like to turn your attention to the second aspect of EXIST function, and that is its antagonization, or its repulsion, of the activating factors. And we're going to use as an example this epigenetic factor called SWISnF. Okay. So, SWISnF is an ATP-dependent chromatin remodeling enzyme. And central to its activity is the catalytic subunit BRG1. So, SWISnF is normally associated with open chromatin. Indeed, it uh, makes chromatin accessible, poising it for gene activation. And so, normally, you would find SWISNIF Snf on the active X chromosome, but not on the inactive X chromosome. As Xist RNA spreads over the inactive X chromosome, the RNA comes into contact with BRG1 and inhibits the ATP... uh, ATPase activity of BRG1, just as it inhibits the methyltransferase activity of PRC2. So, this is an immunofluorescence experiment, and you can see that BRG1 is normally present throughout the nucleus. But where there is exist RNA, shown here in red, you can see that there is a depletion of BRG1 over that uh, same chromosome territory, suggesting that exist RNA evicts uh, uh, BRG1 from the inactive X chromosome. Alright, so then we'll now turn to the third and final function of uh, EXIST, and that is its role in directing changes in three-dimensional chromosome architecture. So, our RNA proteomic analysis also showed that exists is interacting with a number of chromosome architectural factors. So, you can see here, various cohesins, as well as CTCF. These are two architectural factors that go to construct 3D chromatin. So, we've already talked extensively about CTCF, a zinc finger protein, that brings together distant genetic elements that form these chromatin loops. And then we have cohesins, which are this multi-subunit complex that forms a ring around the base of the loops to lock in that architectural structure. So, it is known that mammalian chromosomes are organized into two distinct entities. One called the topologically associating domain, or the TAD, and the other the compartment. So, TADs are these large loops of chromatin of around one to two megabases in size within which genes can be, well, they don't have to be, coordinately regulated. And then the active TADs, or that active loops, coalesce and form uh, a separate compartment called the A compartment, whereas the inactive, or the less active, genes form another type of compartment that's called a B compartment. So, as you might imagine, the inactive X chromosome is organized completely differently from all other chromosomes. So, now, here's an inactive X chromosome. The entire chromosome is shown across the top. And uh, what I've done here is magnify the two ends of the chromosome. And you can see from this contact heat map that these TADs, which are these triangular structures, uh, can be seen essentially all across the chromosome. So, the active X chromosome looks a lot like any other chromosome, like all autosomes. On the X chromosome, there are about 110 of these topologically associating domains. Now, contrast that with the inactive X chromosome, where, yes, you might still be able to envision of formation of these topologically associating domains, but they are much, much weakened. And so, one of the things that EXIST has to do, as it's spreading across the chromosome, is to attenuate the formation... although not abolish... attenuate the formation of these so-called TADs. When we mutate repeat B, so that's the critical domain for... uh, for EXIST spreading, we see that nothing happens to the active X chromosome. The active X chromosome still has 110 or so TADs. But on the other hand, when we do the same thing to the inactive X chromosome, you start to see that these TADs persist on that chromosome, or that maybe they're even coming back, they either persist or come back. Suggesting that exists is very important to the attenuation of these topologically associating domains. So, how does exist do this? Well, it's probably doing a number of different things, one of which is that it is also evicting cohesins uh, from that chromosome. So, this is one of the subunits of cohesin. It's an immunofluorescence set that shows that cohesins are normally widely distributed throughout the nucleus. But again, where uh, there is exist, shown here in red, you see a depletion of cohesins next to this arrow. And the same is true of CTCF, okay? Now, when we delete EXIST, the cohesins come back, as shown here, by this uh, a red peak of cohesins here and here. And you can see that in the wild-type chromosome, those two red peaks are not present. EXIST is not only attenuating TADS, but it's also directing the formation of these inactive X-specific compartments. So, SMD... Uh, SMCHD1 is very important in the formation of these Xi-specific compartments. Now, it was Emma Whitelaw who observed many years ago that uh, embryos lacking SMCHD1 would die in mid-gestation due to uh, dysfunctional X inactivation. So, SMCHD1 is a non-canonical SMC protein that's like the cohesins and condensins, except that it has a very different uh, function. So, here you can see that EXIST plays a very active role in the recruitment and the enrichment of SMCHD1 uh, along the inactive X chromosome. And it's, in fact, one of the proteins that we identified when we performed the EXIST proteomic uh, analysis as a factor that directly interacts with EXIST. So, it turns out that SMCHD1 plays at least two important roles um, during X inactivation. So in the first, it's aiding the local spreading of exist PRC2 complexes, and uh, in the second, it's merging these inactive X-specific compartments. Okay, so here's the first role: SMCHD1 is important for the regional spreading of exist, and you can see in this um, epigenomic analysis in the first track that exist spreads along the uh, this region of the X chromosome is about one megabase. Uh, more or less evenly. But in the SMCHD1 knockout, which is shown in the second track, you can see that there is a depletion of exist across this one megabase uh, domain, which is also green-shaded. And uh, associated with that is a defect in polycomb spreading and H3K27 uh, methylation across that same domain. So, SMCHD1 is very important for regional spreading of exists. And the loss of... of SMCHD1 results in a defect uh, of uh, spreading, as well as a focal loss of H3K27 methylation. Now, the other thing that SMCHD1 does is that it merges these inactive X-specific compartments. So, shown here are HI-C experiments. And what I'm showing is a contact heat map for the active X chromosome in the wild-type state with the uh, active X chromosome shown here uh, along the diagonal. And what you probably cannot see at this um, magnification is that there are about 110 topologically associated domains on that active chromosome, whereas on the inactive chromosome, those TADs are significantly weakened, and instead of TADs, this uh, X chromosome shows two large so-called megadomains. So, here's one megadomain, Here's uh, another megadomain. Now, contrast that with what happens when we remove SMCHD1, and on the active X chromosome, nothing happens. But on the inactive X chromosome, you see that these two domains start to break up. And that can be much better visualized by going to the bottom set of panels. These are uh, heat maps of co- uh, Pearson correlation uh, coefficients. And uh, what you can see is that in the wild-type inactive X chromosome, these two megadomains really pop out. So, it's shown in red. But when SMCHG1 is removed, those two megadomains adopt a checkerboard pattern. Okay. And the checkerboard pattern that you see on the mutant inactive X is distinctly different from what you see on the active X chromosome, which shows a much finer checkerboarding pattern that's consistent with the AB compartments that uh, we talked about a few slides ago. So, we can better visualize this by going to a principal component analysis. And in the first principal component, you can see these red-blue structures on the active X chromosome, which are the AB compartments. And when we remove SMCHD1, nothing happens to the active X chromosome. It's impervious to there being a loss of SMCHD1. But then here's the a... uh, the inactive X chromosome, and you can see that in the wild type state there are these two megadomains, one in blue and one in red. But when we remove SMCHD1, those two megadomains break up into these finer structures that we call S1 and S2 compartments, uh, referring to the fact that they appear only when we remove SMCHD1, but also appreciate that these finer structure, these finer structures, are not the AB compartments that you see on the active X chromosome. So it turns out that these S1/S2 compartments are intermediate structures during the formation of the inactive X. So prior to X inactivation, we see these A B compartments, like we see on all chromosomes. But then at the onset of X inactivation, as Xist spreads over the X chromosome, uh, it merges. It being Xist merges the red and blue compartments to form these S1 S2 structures. These larger S1 S2 structures, and that's as X inactivation proceeds, Xist recruits SMCHD1, and SMCHD1, in turn, merges the S1, S2 compartments into these two megadomains to form a compartmentless chromosome. All right, so in these three lectures, I've thrown a lot of information at you, and what I'm going to attempt to do in this final slide is to integrate some of that information. So, we envision that at the onset of X activation, this RNA, with the repeat A motif, recruits PRC2 to the X activation center. But as I mentioned, the recruitment process... the RNA is very important for the recruitment process, but it also holds the activity of PRC2 in check. So, recruitment is not the same thing as loading, which is not the same thing as catalysis. Because as long as the antisense RNA is expressed, PRC2 is prevented from loading onto chromatin. And I also mentioned, in Lecture 2, that at this time, one of the very first things that we see during cell differentiation is a pairing of the two X chromosomes. And as a result of this pairing process, there's a mutually exclusive determination of the active and the inactive X chromosome. presumably through an asymmetric expression pattern of the antisense RNA siax. So, from the future inactive X chromosome, the antisense RNA disappears, while the antisense RNA persists on the future active X chromosome. Alright. So, then, on the future inactive X chromosome, the disappearance of the antisense RNA allows PRC2 to load onto chromatin, but, again, that is not... not enough to unleash the methyltransferase activity of EZH2. When the RNA comes into contact with the accessory subunit GERD2, the affinity of the RNA for PRC2 decreases, the RNA is at least partially dislodged, and that unleashes the methyltransferase activity of EZH2. Okay. so while all of this is happening at the same time. We see that uh, the JPX RNA, this RNA which is just upstream of exist, is transcriptionally upregulated tenfold. And when it crosses a certain threshold, as it will do only in the female cell, because the female has two copies of JPX, JPX evicts CTCF from the 5' end of uh, exist. And uh, probably around the same time, the Gribnow lab has shown that this transcriptional repressor, REX-1, is degraded by a E3 ubiquitin lysase called RNF12. And it's really the combination of all of these events. In particular, the downregulation of the antisense RNA, the upregulation of JPX RNA, and the eviction of CTC... uh, CTCF and REX-1, that allows full-length Exist to be expressed for the first time. So, Exist, uh, of course, also has a binding site for PRC2, and we now know from RNA proteomic analysis that Exist probably binds to about 100 other proteins. Now, this RNA protein complex has to first attach, or load, onto a single nucleation site through. YY1, the transcription factor YY1. Now, without attaching to YY1, this RNA-protein complex will diffuse through the rest of the nucleus. So, from this single nucleation center, the RNA-protein complex then spreads in three dimension across the rest of the X chromosome. And again, d- it does three things. It's not only recruiting silencing factors through the rest of the X chromosome, but it's also evicting Activating factors like cohesins and BRG1 or the slice NIF factor from that X chromosome. So, that in a nutshell is how we're viewing the initiation and spreading of X inactivation. And I should say, by way of conclusion, that this is a model. So, it is a facsimile of what we can't actually directly visualize in the natural world. And scientists. um, use these models as basic frameworks within which we can design additional experiments to probe, to refute, or to accept a hypothesis. And of course, scientists disagree all the time with each other about exactly how things are working in nature. And so we hope that additional... uh, data that we will generate in the coming years will allow us to continually refine this model. And I hope that I'll be able to share some of those new ideas with you in the coming years. Visit us at iBiology.org for more free talks from the world's top scientists. This talk was brought to you with support from the National Science Foundation, the National Institute of General Medical Sciences, and the Lasker Foundation.